Thank you so much for having me. Now, let's get started. Again, initially, when I discover you, it's because this amazing article that you wrote, and the title is called The Malaise Poisoning of French Politics. There's a word for the anger and the disappointment French voters are feeling. Now, let me ask a first question. Political changes or political uh, 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 shift are supposed to be something that's so exciting or something that's so engaging, especially for the younger generations. Now, in your article, why would you use the word that to say the anger and the disappointment among the French voters? Can you help us to understand a little bit from the background? Well, um, I think at the moment, one of the... Um biggest threats to French democracy is the abstention rate. So in France, um, I think, like in many other parts of the world, um, there's a lot of disillusionment with politics, and that's being reflected in the number of numbers of people that are actually casting their votes. So at the moment, we have two candidates in France, and the election will be on the 24th of April. Emmanuel Macron is the incumbent president, and he um, represents the centre-centre-right, whilst Marine Le Pen is the challenger. She represents the far-right. And I think that people are quite disenchanted with these two choices because it doesn't reflect, neither of them reflect what many voters want. I mean, the French, I would say... Uh, and I think I said it in my article, the French, you know, are, are usually quite pessimistic about their politicians. Um, for example, no, it's only, um, only uh, three out of the eight presidents since um, 1958, only three presidents have been re-elected. So actually, the stats aren't in Emmanuel Macron's favour. People like to, the French like to complain about their political leaders and they don't like to give them a second chance. Um, and so I think in France at the moment, people are feeling dis disillusioned. They're feeling disillusioned with the democratic process. They're feeling disillusioned after the pandemic. And um, I think it's really going to be, be reflected in the amount, in the number of people that go to vote on Sunday. Hmm. Now, uh, Flood, I, I want to continue with something that you wrote in the article, and I quote, specifically that you use the word, it's called, uh, I hope I'm not butchering it, it's called Zoom, and you wrote, which has become widespread as it creeps into coverage of this month's presidential election. Feeling dissatisfaction and resignation now transcend social divides. So in other words, going back to what you said before, since those two candidates, neither of them could represent what the voters actually had in mind. But meanwhile, there's no any other options. So can you help us to understand what actually do the voters or the people in France want for the future leader of the country? Remember that this pandemic happens across the world and we can't just 
blame or we can't just use the pandemic to uh to how can i say use excuse and to um to not to vote for this person so in other words from your perspective what does that mean that when you say the feeling of dissatisfaction and the resignation now transcend social divides? So I was speaking in the article about well, this word, um, which basically translates to life is unfair or I'm so annoyed or I mean, I don't want to swear, but you can you can fit in any kind of swear word in there. Mm. Um, and it's used by it was initially used sort of 10 years ago by young people in the Bollywood. So those are the suburbs of large cities which are known for um, high crime rates and low unemployment. And, you know, they're sort of cut off from the rest of uh, French society. And this word that, that originated in the volume of these suburbs um, has basically crept into lots of other parts of French society. So it's used to describe politicians, it's used in sports stadiums, and it's used, you know, it's used in the poshest neighborhoods of Paris by young, young, young people. Um, and I think that, um, that it, and it also actually is used by um, people in the countryside. So three years ago, there was uh, there were protests rocked France. Um, these were rural voters or rural citizens who were complaining about the um, price of fuel, the gilet jaune. Mm. And they actually started using this word too. So this feeling of dissatisfaction has really united all parts of French society. They're, they're basically annoyed about, um, about not, not by, by they're, they're in, I think it's meant to symbolize uh, people's feeling of being cut off by society, this feeling that life is not getting better, mm. that, that, that uh, their children will probably have a worse off quality of life than them. And I mean, you ask, what do people want? And I think that's the million dollar or the million euro question. People don't really know what the solutions are. And they're looking to their politicians to give them the answers. And at the moment, neither Macron or Le Pen are giving them the answers they want. Mm. And indeed, actually, it's, it, goes, it goes further than the two candidates. It's, all, it's about the political system. So the centre-right candidate, Valérie Pécresse, who didn't get through to the second round, she got under 5% of the vote. Her party, Les Républicains, is one of the most is the major one of the major parties in France. Mm. They got under 5% of the vote. The, the candidate for the socialists, Anne Hidalgo, who was actually mayor of Paris, she got about 2% of the votes in the first round. Even in Paris, they didn't want to vote for her. She got about 2% in Paris, even though she's mayor of their city. So people aren't disillusioned only with the two um, the two, the two um, candidates that got through to the second round. They're also disillusioned with left and right and you know traditional democratic processes hmm. 
Flood, I want to continue with something that you also wrote in your article. And again, you know, this is everything that you put in this article. And number one, it was so delicate and it was so politically attractive. You know, again, going back to the point, that's the reason why I decided to reach out to you. And the second thing, it's, it's rather difficult to understand how the politicians today are uh, gaining the trust or gaining the attraction among the candidates. Now, you said, and I quote, uh, um, Slan has long signaled rebellion in France. Can you help us to understand what does that mean when you put that sentence in your article that Slan is just part of the language? has long signaled rebellion in France. And we know that um, for so long, the politicians, on one hand, some of them are very good at using lip service. But on the other hand, you know, someone as Emmanuel Macron, that again, from this Western perspective or from this uh, other uh, parts of the world, and they believe that he's actually doing something, or at least uh, uh, during the previous couple of years that he was actually doing something for the voters or for the constituents. But going back to what you wrote, the language today has long signaled rebelling in friends. What does that mean? And what point are you trying to make by using the sentence? Well, when it comes to language, the French are very good at slang. So that, so even though they have a very beautiful language, the language of Voltaire and of Flaubert, they like to play around with it. So the, in the 1980s, you would have uh, a lot of people would speak verlan, which was basically inverting words. So femme, which means woman, would become meuf. It's, it's basically femme, that word backwards. And that can kind of, that can signal a linguistic rebellion because it's basically not using words in the same way that mainstream, mainstream society uses it and you know for example at the moment a lot of the popular slang words like le somme signal dissatisfaction and i mean when we talk about rebellion i have to say the french are pretty good at it mm. i mean who who started the most famous revolution on earth it wasn't the americans it was the french in 1789 that's right and they smashed everything down um, so, you know, you can't, you can't, when it comes to the French, they have, they, they've had five republics so far. This is the fifth republic that they're on at the moment. And, you know, there's talk that the fifth republic from both of the candidates, or well, mostly from Marine Le Pen, isn't fit for purpose. And that, you know, the democratic process needs to be, um, needs to be changed in in order to reflect what the voters want more. Mm. So the French are always looking for ways in which to change their system of government. However, I would say that the French do love a strong man or woman. So one of the one of the, when you ask a French person, when you ask French people who the most famous French person in the whole of history is, a lot of them will say not Napoleon, but Charles de Gaulle, who mm. is who was their leader during World War Two, and is kind of you know this one figure that 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 symbolised France. And I think that people are still looking for that. Voters are still looking for that. But 
do they think Macron or Le Pen will represent them best? That's mm. the question. You know, Flood, that's we are speaking right now. One thing that that actually drew our attention. It's another word that has been very popular for so long in the Western democratic system, and the word is called the establishment. Now, I'm sure that you are also familiar with that word because, again, given the fact that you cover international politics across the continent, based on the research and based on the information that we gather today, Marine Le Pen, that she's looking for a brand new channel, or she's looking for a mechanism to reshape. Correct me if I'm wrong. To reshape the establishment, the political platform in France today. So, in other words, based on the recent debate between the two candidates, Emmanuel Macron and also Le Pen, the, the two candidates they were blaming each other for ruining this fundamental political system or fundamental political establishment. So, in other words, Marine believe um, in uh, Le Pen be believe that Macron is distorting the principle of establishment in France today. So, from your perspective and based on your coverage. Why would you think that Le Pen is taking this way, and how effective it is among the voters that she's trying to get? Well, five years ago, Macron was actually the anti-establishment figure because he actually invented a party that would support his bid for presidency. So that he invented a party. That's the ultimate anti-establishment thing that you can do. But he is also from the establishment, so he trained at the uh, the um, Grand École for Civil Servants, the INA, the University for Civil Servants. He worked as a banker at Rothschild, and he was um, in the uh, government of the previous president. Um, Le Pen, in a funny way, is actually part of the French establishment. I mean, she's part of the establishment of the far right. Her father. Who founded the party that she then took over? You know, has been in politics since the 1980s, if not before. But she is casting herself as an anti-establishment figure because she is um, she is casting herself as someone who is closer to the people.、Mm. So when they had the debate last night, which everybody, I mean, a lot of people think that、uh, Macron performed better in than she did, even though she didn't、um, she didn't embarrass herself like some said she did in 2017. But anyway, during the debate last night, Le Pen said to him, was talking about the cost of living, and said to him, "You don't live in the real world." Le Pen is saying that she, that the establishment do not live in the real world, but she does live in the real world.、Mm. She does understand ordinary people's concerns, which at the moment are really about the cost of living and how salaries don't seem to be keeping up with,、um, you know, the cost of food, petrol, and other essential goods. Well,、uh, um, Flood, I want to go back to something that. So critical to the both candidates, which is the policy regarding immigration. You know, again, right now, as I mentioned in the intro, the whole world continues to focus on the war in Ukraine. You know, so again, that's something that we're going to discuss later on. But 
what are the policies regarding immigration and regarding refugees that this is something that, again, based on the article that we gathered, it says, Le Pen's most controversial proposal is amendment to the 1958 Constitution to implement what we called national preference designations and prohibit the entry of certain classes of immigration into France who, according to Le Pen and the far right, are changing the uh, composition and identity of the French people. So, in other words, we know that uh, based on the, uh, the, uh, uh, the policy from Emmanuel Macron, France has been one of the opening and welcoming territories for refugees and also for immigrants. And again, he, um, uh, uh, Emmanuel believed that these people are full of talents and contribute to the economic and political growth in the country. Now, on the other hand, Le Pen, she did not believe that. And she's advocating for the policy to be reformed or the policy to be amended. So from your perspective, why do you think this such policy, the, the immigration or the refugee, is standing at the crossroads and how significant it is for both candidates to address this issue today, especially under this international globalization? Um, well, yeah, no, it's, um, it's interesting because everyone thought that immigration was going to be a huge issue in the run up to the election. But in fact, it's been more about cost of living mm. um and you know they haven't they haven't actually clashed so much on immigration i would say that the battle between macron and le pen is really it's not one about right and left you know that that typical division but it's about um nationalists and globalists so le pen is a nationalist it's sort of like you know um make america great again in you know in the u.s but it's it's more like put you know it's like put france first is how i would characterize her her outlook whereas emmanuel macron is uh, fully behind the european union he wants a greater integration and a greater role for uh, for france in in the eu even though le pen she used to be she used to be um for frexit so france exiting the eu she's now sort of decided that that isn't something that's going to appeal for voters so she's calling it um so she basically wants to opt out of certain certain bits of the eu although it's unclear what she'd like to replace them with I mean, I think that the the way that immigration has played an interesting role in the debate so far is not so much about people coming from outside. And, you know, I have to add people coming from outside. It's really, you know, it's really about EU mi migration as much as international migration. But, um, sorry, the debate has really centered around what it means to be French. Mm. Um, so who qualifies as French? And, and how do you show that you are French? Um, one of um, Le Pen's most controversial um, manifesto points, which was picked up by Emmanuel Macron in the debate last night, is that she wants to forbid the wearing of the veil in public places mm. in France. So you wouldn't be able to wear the veil in, in, in the streets in France. 
um, this is really pushing the French concept of laïcité, so the separation between church and state, to its extreme. And, you know, Macron said that it it, um, it contradicts the French idea of universalism and, and the French idea that, uh, you know, everyone is French, whatever their colour, their religion, or, you know, whatever, you know, other identifying characteristics. Um, so I think that, you know, at the moment, it's, yeah, the debate is really centering around who is French and what does it mean to put French people first? Hmm. Flood, you know, I'm sure that you're mindful that in the States, let's trace it back to at least five or six years ago. Back in 2016, when Donald Trump was elected to become the leader of the whole uh, the, uh, the the world, I mean, again, when I say the world, I mean America. And the French, I think the French would uh, they would um, they wouldn't be happy if you said that if they had you say that. That's right. So that's why I have to uh, stop myself from using that word. But anyway. <laughs> So, so when Donald Trump was elected as the president, and he, immediately the word called nationalism came up. And I believe from the Democratic side, and they were so worried, and they were so concerned, because when Donald Trump was trying to push this nationalistic agenda, or the agenda under nationalism... That means we're trying to only pure this, purify this country, and we're only trying to keep America to be America, if that makes sense. But meanwhile, so according to what you said, if Le Pen is running this political spectrum, is running this political agenda, uh, uh, similar or echo that what Trump did in the States, don't you think that she's running or she's placing herself on a wrong bed? So in other words, listen, Flood, we're looking in the world that no country can be single out or can be purified just by their own nationals. And you have to accept the reality. You have to accept the fact that this is our international country. Every single place is international. It's internationalized today. So how do you think that Le Pen is going to continue to push or continue to carry on this purification of the country? Well, I, I think that Le Pen is far more um, nuanced and her tactics are, are far are different from Trump's. Trump reveled in shocking people and saying things how he thought they were mm. so, saying, saying, saying things how they are but in his world uh, Le Pen has actually um, so for the last uh, five or six years she has embarked on the process of what the French called dédiabolisation which basically means um Dis, uh, dis uh, satanization, so stopping herself from seeming evil, from from, from seeming like the devil. Mm. So she's basically been trying to um, soften her image. So when she talks about Islam, she says she has no problem with Islam, but she has a problem with Islamism. She's very careful to say that. Um, but you know, the people, people. I mean, it's difficult for her to erase her whole heritage. So her father, who ran 
the Rassemblement National, or it was um, uh, Le Front National when he was running it. She changed the name for, for so that the party would appear more friendly. But you know, he was convicted of anti-Semitism and of hate crimes. So she has all of that heritage behind her, which people still remember. But she's actually doing a remarkably good job of softening her image. Mm. I would say in the election, what has what has really helped her cause uh, was the emergence of another candidate, Eric Zemmour, who was um, he was an ex journalist and he ran he ran for president, but he didn't. He only got eleven percent in this in the um, the first round. Anyway, his policies were far more extreme than Le Pen's. Mm. So he was advocating to send migrants back to their original countries. He was um, advocating um, lots of extreme policies. And in fact, that helped um, Le Pen because it made her seem rather reasonable Mm. in comparison. Mm. So actually... The whole nationalist agenda, she's doing quite well at disguising it. Flood, I know you're very busy, and of course, you're one of the amazing writers and also journalists that based in France. So I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, let's go back to your article. When we talk about the younger generations today, on one hand, it's rather positive and so uplifting to see how the younger generations today actively participate in the political uh, agenda or political social movement. But on the other hand, they are inventing, you know, or they are, quote, I mean, I quote, they're uh, branding themselves as this new identity. So from your perspective, and also based on your article, how significant it is for the younger generations today in France to participate this recent election and how much difference or how significant that you think the two candidates are going to swing the voters, especially among the younger generations, in order to secure this president position? Um, I think that, um, I mean, you're actually looking at it in a more positive way than I am. I will be very surprised if the youth turnout at the election on on Sunday is high. I think that uh, when you look at what young look at issues that young people care about, I mean the most obvious is climate change. Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen didn't really talk about that during the first round. And it's only when we're coming up to the second round that Emmanuel Macron has started mentioning the green agenda. Young people aren't stupid. They know that he's only doing this to, you know, get their votes. Mm. Um, I think that Macron was meant to be, you know, he was one of France's youngest presidents and he was, there was so much hope placed on his shoulders that he was bound to disappoint people. Um, I, I really... I really actually, I mean, I think it's a really difficult time for French politics at the moment. And it is hard to see how young people are going to get engaged 
in order to transform politics for the better. There's nothing inspiring for them there at the moment. Hmm. Flood, I want to end our conversation with something I also mentioned in the intro, which is in reality today, the war in Ukraine has not uh, uh, gone away yet. So in other words, as the whole world continue to focus on this war in Ukraine between Russia and the Ukrainian government, from your perspective, because you are based in France, number one, how do people in France today eat... Uh, um, evaluate or i guess you would say to rate the a performance or the reaction from the french government and number two how much do the people in france actually care about how the french government react to the war in ukraine Um, I think it's been really interesting, the the effect of the war of U uh, in Ukraine on the um, presidential elections. Um, so everyone thought it was going to be um, Le Pen's, well, Putin was going to be Le Pen's Achilles heel. She, um, she has praised him in the past, and in fact, her party, the Rassemblement National, accepted a loan from a bank which was close to the Kremlin, in order to fund their various campaigns. So people thought it was going to be that, that it might break her, right? Um, but what happened is that Le Pen decided to focus on the cost of living crisis in France. And the war of U in Ukraine is really deepening that crisis. So fuel is going up, food prices are going up. I can see it. I live here and, you know, my bills are going up. Mm. Um, Macron, on the other hand, positioned himself as the great statesman at the beginning of the war in Ukraine. So he was calling Putin every five seconds. Um, there are some incredible photos of um, Macron in his office wearing a hoodie and, you know, casual clothes, which he rarely does. And and with bags under his eyes and he rarely he rarely looks tired and you know people joked that he was trying to cosplay Zelensky the Ukrainian president <laughs> so Macron was really getting into the role of statesperson but you know those those phone calls to Putin have have proved futile um so so I think that people, but I do think that, that people look at those two candidates and they say, they see Le Pen as someone who was, who was favorable towards Putin and they see Macron as someone who can rank among other world leaders. Um, so I do think that the French really care about what's happening in Ukraine. It's very close to the European Union. France have got the presidency of the European Union at the moment. So it's really their response. You know, it's a really what happens is in large part, you know, their responsibility as president, uh, as they hold the presidency of the EU at the moment. And Ukraine is very close. It feels very close to Europe. Um, but I mean, it's interesting because Le Pen did say that she thinks that we should still accept Russian gas and oil, mm. whereas Macron is trying to, um, you know, Macron is approving sanctions against it. And, you know, it will be interesting to see whether in the long run, French people care more about their pockets and the cost of fuel and the cost of food than ideological 
considerations and you know international relations well i think that really makes sense because again up until sunday i guess we're going to see how the fate is going to play its game on the nation of friends so flo mcdonald it's a freelance journalist currently based in the south of france she has written about culture and politics for foreign policy and the london review of books and the guardian among others Miss McDonald, thank you so much for taking your time to join the show. And again, I encourage everyone to go on the internet and connect with her through the social media and also specifically the dive into the article that she wrote regarding how the language today is transforming and changing the political changes in the country of friends. So, Flo, thank you so much for being with us.